Hi, this is Kaylee. I'm a violence prevention coordinator at UCI CARE. Hi, I'm Melissa. I'm also a violence prevention coordinator at UCI CARE. And you're listening to The Narrative Project. Hi, everyone. Dong Ann here with my amazing colleague, Catherine. Welcome back to another episode of The Narrative Project hosted by UCI CARE. The UCI CARE office provides free and confidential support services to members of the UCI community impacted by sexual assault, relationship abuse, family violence, and or stalking. UCI CARE aims to end these forms of power-based personal violence by engaging the campus community in education, programming, and transformative action. Before we get into today's topic, I'll let us introduce ourselves with our names, pronouns, affiliation, where we're calling from today, and a quick description of ourselves and our background. So hi everyone, my name is Dong Ann and my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm an advanced field study intern at the care office. I'm calling in from Irvine today in my apartment and I'm wearing a beige t-shirt and some baggy sweats and I have black hair and brown eyes and I have my hair down. My name is Catherine. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a volunteer intern for UCI CARE. I'm calling in from my on-campus apartment as well. And I'm wearing a black t-shirt and black shorts. And I have my hair, my brown hair up in a bun. We'll be discussing undocumented survivors. To preface our discussion, we'll be covering on topics that may be sensitive for some. Please feel free to step away for any breaks needed. So the first question that we're really going to talk about is who are undocumented survivors and how do we personally define or identify who these folks are? According to UCSB's care office, an undocumented survivor is a survivor who is also navigating their undocumented status. So folks who immigrated here but aren't documented yet are very at risk to becoming an undocumented survivors. I know undocumented people, but yeah, but I, I don't, I don't know, know a lot of survivors. survivors. So for me, I do know some folks who are undocumented, though they might not be undocumented survivors. It's always a little um, scary to know that they are at risk to being a survivor, just in the sense that they are undocumented and they have um, a lot of things that they have to worry about and a lot of things that abusers typically use as a way to control and abuse them. For example, their undocumented status is almost uh, a weapon of power and control where an abuser might threaten a call, immigration on them, etc. So for me, even though I've never personally known an undocumented survivors, I do know some folks who I do worry about in the sense that they might become at risk to being a survivor. Definitely a vulnerability um, among people who are undocumented. Um, I don't know, I don't knowingly know any undocumented survivors per se, but I do know undocumented people. And one of the main things is that like, they're afraid of the legal system um, in any terms, even if it's not necessarily like, um, they don't have anything to do with the border. They're just not comfortable or they don't trust it, which is like, um, like fair enough, especially if they come from countries um, 
where the like authority authoritative figures are very corrupt. So for example, like where my parents come from, um, like politicians, police are people you can't really trust. Um, and so it's kind of just a known thing over there. Like you don't really, not that you don't report anything, but you just don't expect anything to get done. So there's that, that, that aspect as well. Yes, I totally agree with you, Catherine. Those are exactly some of the things that I've heard from folks as well in my culture. It's sort of, you know, we don't report because nothing will get done and no one will help us almost. And I think that there's almost a language barrier as well because you're coming to a completely new environment, new language, new systems. And that's like for everything. That's like the legal system, um, the way of life. And I think that that's always a little scary because you're having to navigate this undocumented status. And then you're also having the factor of having to worry about someone possibly abusing you. So I think there's a definite like uncertainty that comes with being undocumented. And I feel like it's interesting because when we talk about it like this, it feels like it doesn't just affect the, the undocumented survivor themselves, but it also affects their loved ones, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like for me, even though, even though these folks aren't um, survivors of any type of personal violence, there's always this fear in me that, oh, what if they do though? So I think that that's very interesting to see how this fear and uncertainty almost lingers to other folks, not just the survivors who are put at risk. And I like that you said vulnerable because I think that they are <laughs> that they are particularly vulnerable to this type of violence and risk. Yeah, and I think it's especially scary because, like, considering like the political climate the last few years um, where you have people in power like openly speaking against them mm -hmm. trying to make it known like yeah we're not essentially we don't care right um, and you're the bad guys anyway so we're not going to help you I feel like that's just another barrier another layer to like not trusting or not feeling like anyone's going to do anything for you but I really like that you brought that up. I think especially, for example, in America, with how politicized the talk is around undocumented versus documented status and how much almost division there is. I feel like that if I was in that position, I would feel really fearful as well, because the stigma is so strong that it, it almost like silences if you are a survivor who is undocumented. It's almost as, as if you wanted to say, look, I'm a survivor, that folks won't recognize you as a survivor. They'll recognize that you're undocumented first. Yeah. Which I think is like, it's really saddening for us to see. Really, I feel like there's fear and there must be some type of like hopelessness. Because mm -hmm. um, no one wants to help you and like, I feel like it's, you just give up. Yes. Point. I wonder too, if there are like some cultural impacts as well, because I know for me, some of the folks who I know, there is also another layer of like cultural factors 
like traditionally they're coming from a place where if you are abused, pretend if you're abused by a loved one, you don't talk about it. It's a very, okay, that happened, you move on and you still live with your abuser. Whereas, so now I'm thinking that when they are like in a completely new environment, there's still that layer of like a cultural impact saying, no, don't report or don't come out or don't tell anyone because you know you shouldn't be doing that. So it almost like stays with them even after they move to a different place. Yeah, culture plays a huge role in it. Um, I'd say mine is like similar to what you're saying. Um, like my family's like Latino. Mm-hmm. So um, there, it is very taboo to talk about this person did this to me, or even mm-hmm. if it's not someone in like the family. Right. Just to go out and be like, I was blank or this happened to me is like, it's some families can be so traditional and just like, and that's like putting it nicely, but just ignorant. Yes. Um, that it's like, well, what, what were you wearing? Like, why did you go out? And it's like this, and you know, it all comes full circle about the like victim blaming. Yes. And unfortunately, it's so rooted in our culture um, mm-hmm. that like, don't even talk about it. And it's your fault. Like machismo is a thing. So it's like, well, why didn't you just do blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's frustrating culture culture definitely plays a big role I definitely agree I really like that you brought it back to victim blaming because I think at the end of the day it does come full circle back to that and it's also I think even maybe harder for undocumented folks to really come out and like report or say anything because that's what it ends up being it's either victim blaming or they just get dismissed almost because they almost feel like no one's there to really protect or serve them because of their status, which is really, it's really saddening and scary. It's hard. It must be hard when like Mm -hmm. the people at home don't have your back and then the system that's put in place to protect you doesn't have your back either or yes, you don't feel like they would. So you just don't bother. Mm -hmm. I agree. So I guess a good question would be like, what do you, what do we think are like risks of being undocumented survivors? Yeah. So I think we talked a bit about it already, but I, so for me personally, what I think are some of the risks for being an undocumented survivors, sort of like what I talked about before is the vulnerability, like you stated in the undocumented status because a lot of um, a lot of abusers use that as a tool and almost as a weapon to control and abuse the survivors. So according to womenslaw.org, undocumented survivors are at risk of abusers using their undocumented status as a way to control and abuse the survivor. And an example would be like using immigration status as uh, an extra weapon of power and control. So threatening to call immigration and customs enforcement if a survivor challenges or reports domestic or sexual violence. Those who are undocumented may be particularly vulnerable to this type of threat because they fear being deported if they challenge or report their abusers to law enforcement. 
And I think on top of what womanslaws.org is saying, it's that there's also that fear that they would be deported, but it's also a fear and stigma, like we talked about previously, culturally, to even speak up. So I think it's very, I think it definitely comes down to a lot of intersecting and overlapping identities that can really affect folks differently. So like we talked about, maybe someone from a specific culture has this one identity that might silence them even further on top of being fearful that they might become deported on top of maybe another um, social identity that they hold. So I think that it's almost like there's always going to be a lot of intersecting and overlapping identities that can really affect the risk um, of being an undocumented survivors. Yeah. You're on the UC Santa Barbara CARE website. Um, they have it like, like quote, like how the, how the stigma, fear, and uncertainty that accompany being undocumented or having loved ones who are undocumented often serve as silencing factors that can put survivors at further risk of violence. These intersecting circumstances may keep a survivor from accessing the resources available to them and may impact whether or not they reach out to healthcare providers, law enforcement, or other systems and organizations that are traditionally seen as part of the healing and reporting process. So yeah, I think it just goes back to what we said about being afraid to ask for help. As if like, um, asking for help in a situation like that isn't already hard enough they it just adds more to the difficulty and the mistrust and it's like completely valid it it just sucks that like um it just sucks that like they're not able to comfortably feel like they can be helped and if anything that's the fault of um the systems in place rather than the survivor Yes, I definitely agree with you, Catherine. I think that the systems and support services that are in place that are supposed to help these folks are, well, there are, I feel like, a lot of reasons. I think some of it has to do with underfunding and some of them has to do with just systemic issues that are rooted in almost hate if you know what I mean, yeah, it's almost like it's almost like these systems weren't created in a way to support these folks to begin with. They were just like, for me, I think of it almost like it was a remix of a support service that was meant for everyone, for example. But they don't they don't tweak it so that it helps marginalized folks and helps undocumented folks. Yeah. It almost helps like, I, I'm a psych major. I'm a psych sci major. So I always talk about the weird population. Weird populations are basically from people that are from Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic societies. And they're usually represent a lot of study participants. Um, as much as 80, right? But they're only about 12% of the world's population. Um, please note that this is uh, back in 2010, reported by the American Psychological Association. So the data obviously could be very different now. But for me, it's what 
that's how I view almost like a lot of the support system as well as the, how the legal system really functions is that it functions to serve a lot of the weird population. <laughs> the way that it serves is very, it's very much for the weird population. And I think that there's not a lot of cultural competency on top of that. So you have a lot of undocumented folks who already have to face a language barrier and understanding someone else. And then on top of that language barrier, they have to almost navigate a legal barrier if they want to report or come out. But then what you have is I think you have a lot of people who don't have the patience, time, or compassion, as well as the cultural competency to take on the case of an undocumented survivor, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that in this sense, when we look at it, I think from a third person looking in, it just looks like the system was never built to protect and serve these folks. Even if we might say, these are some support services that are available. I think that it's really hard to find ones that actually support and serve this community wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that you brought that up. Um, we're also learning in my, my crim class, my criminology class that, um, we're talking about in general just how undocumented immigrants in general are just more prone to crime. Mm -hmm. Not that they're the ones committing the crime, but they're having crimes committed to them. Mm -hmm. So they are the victims. Um, and a lot of it goes back to not trusting um, the systems we have in place. So like obviously like we talked about not trusting the legal system, not trusting the healthcare system. Um, it was interesting. My professor was talking about how like, they're also prone to like theft. So like pickpocketing or, you mm -hmm. know, things like that. And that's because they also don't trust. Um, and I've seen it firsthand, like my dad and stuff, they don't trust banks because where they come from, like it's not a reliable place to store your money. So they carry a lot of cash. Yeah, so I think it's it's interesting how like it portrays itself in different ways. And this isn't just necessarily undocumented, but just immigrants in general are very wary about government, um, especially like our government, you know, when it's a new place, mm -hmm. you're not just going to put your full fledged trust, which makes sense. Um, but it is unfortunate that our government, our authority systems and things like that have, don't really, um, like you said, they don't cater to people who, who immigrated here to the US. Like we should be able to feel like we can trust them, but we don't. And I feel like if it's this many people, it's not an issue of the people living here. It's an issue of the systems. Like, why don't we trust them? Like what? I feel like it's on them. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I definitely agree with you, Catherine. And it's really interesting to see that because with the money thing, uh, my parents are also the same. They don't really trust the banks. So I definitely align with you there. And I think that this kind of circles back as well to how technically speaking, Undocumented survivors, as stated by womanslaws.org, 
of domestic and sexual violence have. They have the same right as everyone to access domestic violence services and our U.S. court systems. But it's, it's that fear, it's that uncertainty, it's that stigma that often holds folks back from reaching out. And I think that while it's easy for a lot of people to maybe say, well, why don't they go and get help? Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, let's see, let's say, a, like, for example, someone who is documented um, and they were a survivor, even as a, as a survivor who is documented, it's already scary to even go through that, you know, like going through the law, getting, having someone, you know, cross-examine you and berate you in the legal system you know, having the defense go at you. So it's already a traumatic experience to put yourself through that again, just as a person who is documented. So I think for folks who are undocumented, I think the risks are even higher. It's that they they have a fear that they might be deported if they go through with their case, you know, that their undocumented status would be used against them. And then on top of that, they would have to go through again you know, the defense berating them. And they might even go through threats of folks saying, you know, if you go through with this, we're going to call, you know, immigration customs on you. So it's a lot of, I think, more risk and threats and fears in that way. Additionally, I think there are some almost unique circumstances and types of abuse that immigrant survivors may suffer from. And I think Catherine can go ahead and discuss some of the ways that undocumented survivors may be specifically targeted. Yeah, so I'm looking at the Women's Law website right now. And they made they make some really good points. It says, what are the unique types of abuse um, immigrant survivors may suffer? The first one is stopping the victim from learning English, which, um, like, I I hadn't even thought of that, but it's completely true. Like, it's one Mm -hmm. way to kind of isolate them and make sure that they can't fend for themselves in a country that is, for the most part, English. Um, Then there's refusing to let the victim speak with friends or family from his or her home country. And then that's like a common thing we see, right? Like Mm -hmm. trying to make sure that they are alone and they feel alone and they're kind of the perpetrator being like, all you have is me. And so that's why you shouldn't leave me or that's why um, you should listen to me, things like that. And we see that quite often in general in like domestic abuse cases. Um, Oh, wow getting the victim fired from his or her job by telling an employer that the victim is undocumented. Mm. That's so scary. Threatening to have the victim deported while the abuser remains in the United States with their children. Cool. I can't even imagine. Lying to the victim and telling them that they will be reported and lose their residency or citizenship if... um, if they report the, the abuse to the police, yeah. So those are just, those are some examples, but I think what's important to take away from that is um, 
not all abuse is obvious. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is making sure that the person is alone and that they don't have anyone there to essentially like protect them. Mm -hmm. Right. So I agree. It was a, that was a really good um, resource. It's womenslaw.org. And yes. it's just bullet points of types of abuse immigrant survivors suffer. Um, and it's just good to be aware of that stuff too. Um, even if it's not happening to you, if you see it happening to someone, it's good to it's good to know what um, what would what is. I mean, damn it, it's good to know like what to look out for. So I really love how Catherine brought up the very unique types of abuse that undocumented and immigrant survivors may suffer. I think it's really interesting and eye-opening, at least for me, to see that some of the things that we might view as oh, that's not, that's actually never striked me as almost a red flag is a red flag. For example, things such as refusing to let the person speak with their friends or family back in their home country. I mean, this is things that we see people say, oh, it's just really expensive to make that call. So you really can't be calling them for more than five minutes or 10 minutes, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think I grew up in an environment too, where it was like that. It was like, if you're going to make the call, you would have to use like a certain like software where it doesn't charge you. But calling in general and communicating with folks back in their home country was limited. Whereas I think now it's, it's interesting to see how folks who, how these folks are at risk because of the fact that their abuser can be like, no, you can't communicate and contact them at all. Like I'm all you need. Like you said, mm -hmm. Catherine, it's definitely about that power and control. It's that isolating them so that I'm the only person they can depend on. And I think that that's a very scary feeling when you're in an area that you know nothing about, a new environment who you know nothing about, you don't know anything about the language, the legal system, the way of life, and you only have one person to rely on, and they're the person who is hurting you. I think mm -hmm. it's very scary. Or relating back to what you said about the very last bullet point that you talked about, which is threatening to have the survivor deported while the abuser remains with their children in the United States, I think it's one of like the scariest ones. Yeah. Um, that's almost like, Evil. yeah. Yeah, like that's like something I would hear straight out of like a villain story in a movie. And I think it's really scary that they have to have the fear of that risk happening. And I think it almost ties back to all these other fears about having their children in general, like related to their children. So like custody of their children, um, you know, like saying you can't have custody of your kids because you are undocumented or telling a survivor, like, if you report this abuse, you're going to get your children deported, things like that. And to me, that's so heartbreaking and scary that someone would use children as a tool and as a weapon to control and abuse someone um so a really a really great point that you brought going back to like how well like being not being allowed to talk to your family back home and stuff um that it might look different today like Ann was saying like um like oh it costs too much money and things like that um 
and now you have apps like whatsapp where you could like talk via wi-fi like it's so it, that might even look different it might even look like shutting off the internet um when they know you'll be home or taking away your phone in general like any method i guess of like mm -hmm. trying to refrain like keep the person from talking to anyone any method really um and obviously like the survivor like when they start to pick up on the red flags i think it's important to like trust your gut um because there is no like standard definition of domestic abuse mm. that's a good very good point that you brought up Thanks for sharing and listening to our insight and thoughts. I'm so grateful that we were able to cultivate this space to talk more about such an important topic. With that being said, this marks the end of our first part of our discussion, but come back next time where we will be continuing our conversation on undocumented survivors. Thanks for tuning into the Narrative Project podcast. We hope you all enjoyed the dialogue we had today. Please remember, should you need support from the care office, please call us at 949-824-7273 or email us at care at uci.edu. Our services are available to UCI students, staff, and faculty members Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. The UCI Counseling Center can also be accessed at 949-824-6457 and offers 24-hour access to counselors by phone. Waymaker's 24-hour hotline at 949-831-9110 for South Orange County or 714-957-2737 for North Orange County provides resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. Human Options 24-hour hotline at 877-854-3594 provides resources safety, and support for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. For those outside of Orange County, the National Sexual Assault Hotline can be reached at 1-800-656-4673 or through online chat at rain.org for resources and referrals for survivors of sexual assault. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached at 1-800-799-7233 or through online chat at thehotline.org for resources and referrals for individuals experiencing relationship abuse. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please be sure to share it with someone you know and join us for our next conversation. Bye for now.